Hello, and welcome to The Home Building Hero, where we help you become the hero of your new home by providing you all the information that you need. No matter if you're building, buying, or designing your next project, we got you covered here at The Home Building Hero. We're coming to you live today from the Pella Windows and Doors Studio of Wisconsin. And I'm here today with very special guest, Jim Tobin, the Executive Vice President and Chief Lobbyist of the National Association of Home Builders, and Carl Eckert, the Vice President of Intergovernmental Affairs for the National Association of Home Builders. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Great, David. Great to be with you again. Yeah, thank yeah, you Thanks so for coming much. on. Welcome, Carl. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks again. Good. Well, we had you guys on the show back in May, and uh, boy, have things changed since, since then. So, uh, um, I know you guys are, are basically uh, at the Capitol. You're dealing with a lot of uh, legislative issues, and obviously we've had a big election. Um, are you guys still going crazy after all this? And is, is this the weirdest election we've ever seen? Oh, I don't know. The weirdest? It's, it's close. Uh, I just, I'll, you know, so between Carl and, and me, we've had a, um, it was, it's been a, uh, it's been a very interesting election cycle. It's not over yet. Uh, Carl is yes. still piloting our uh, our efforts down in in, in Georgia uh, as we, we get to the the final two Senate races of the year. It's um, it's strange. I mean, I, I mean, between election night and, and calling the race, taking you know four extra days uh, between the court cases that President Trump trying to or continually committing to overturning the election to a Biden transition that is uh, that is is trying to. Uh, you know, get its feet wet, get in the door and, and do what it has to do. And then, and then of course, you know, control of Congress is still, uh, is still up for grabs right now too. So it's uh, definitely a, definitely a weird time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you, you mentioned the runoff race, I, I guess, what are you seeing? I mean, is this going to be razor thin? Uh, is that, that kind of your prediction? Have you seen any polling numbers? And uh, I know there's a lot of resources being put into that at this time. Yeah, I think it definitely is going to be, um, within, well, hopefully it's more than half a percent so we can be done with it. But, uh, <laughs> we would I, all like that. <laughs> I, I, I do think that, um, you know, both will, will be probably a, a percent to, to 2% victory for, for whomever wins. Um, and if you, if you predict who's going to win either one of those right now, you're just flipping a coin. Uh, both sides are spending, uh, just as much on the runoff as most, normal elections and it's being done in you know 50 some days so it's uh, it's insane uh it really is um i think shifting a little bit it, you know it, it, it's not so much a election of david Perdue versus john ossoff it's more uh, all about control of the senate and right. um, yeah. you know the weird yeah. thing about voters is uh, in georgia maybe they care about that maybe they don't you know and that's that's going to be the hard the hard the hard part to predict Correct. And um, of course, if we have this scenario where there's a tie, uh, I, I think most people are familiar with that, but do you want to just walk people through that if there is a tie, how that works? Yeah, if the Senate's 50-50, then the vice president is the tie-breaking vote, um, which has happened. Um, but it's, uh, that, that would be, and that would happen until, you know, until some senator switches parties, which is last time there was a 50-50 I think if I'm right, Jim, they got uh, Zell Miller to become a Democrat or somebody else became a Republican. And yeah, they... Jim, Jim Jeffords flipped at some point. I think Jim Jeffords might have put it at 50-50. I, I, I'm going back. I mean, yeah, I mean, the last time we saw that was was almost 20 years ago. And, um, and like Carl said, the vice president would break the tie. 
the committee ratios would be 50-50, but the Democrat uh, would, would be considered the, the, the chairman. And then there's, you know, they had some power sharing agreement where if bills couldn't get through committees, uh, both parties had the right to bring them up to the floor. So there will have to be some serious compromise in order to make the Senate work, uh, which, you know, having the Senate work is also kind of a... <laughs> Oxymoron, right? I was <laughs> <laughs> uh, an old Senate guy. I'm an old House guy. So we, uh, we have our, our there battle, you go. battle lines drawn. Yeah, well, and obviously, I think we've seen from the stock market there, you know, I've heard stock market likes divided government. So even if that were the case, it's probably not necessarily a bad thing for, for I think people like to have some certainty of some sort. So uh, that'll be interesting to kind of monitor as well. Oh, yeah. So kind of jumping into some of the questions here, you guys work a lot on the policy, policy side for the builders associations all around the country. Um, so there's a round of stimulus kind of going around and, and where's that at? And do you think that's going to happen uh, this time around? You probably have a better, better job predicting the, the two Georgia Senate races than you do predicting whether or not we're going to get a next round of COVID in the short term. So yeah, we're, we're down to, uh, to just about a week, uh, I mean, you know, six or seven days left before presumably Congress leaves next Friday to go home for the holidays. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that we're watching Primarily, uh, the, the the next COVID relief package. We saw a draft by a bipartisan group of House and Senate Republicans come out yesterday. A lot of good stuff in there for our industry. Uh, accentuated uh, PPP loans, rental assistance for our multifamily members, and then, and importantly, state and local funding for state and local governments. Uh, you know, what a, you know, Carl. That's Carl's deal. Uh, but but he has been, you know raising the specter of if we don't get any relief for our state and local governments, guess where they're going to come to fill those coffers? And it's going to be housing. Uh, we're the one bright spot in the economy and they need to pay for school repairs and transportation projects. So it's, um, you know, th there's, there's some real peril for the industry if we don't get a package. But it's, it's mired in top level McConnell, Pelosi, Trump, Mnuchin, uh, you know, politics. There's so much politics in it. It's, yeah. you know, the people um, need it, but it's, yeah, everyone's trying to get. Yeah. So if we don't, get, we don't get it in the next week, I do think we'll be back at it in, 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 in January once the new Congress convenes and Georgia races are over and, and we'll get something eventually, but we need it now. We've, we've needed it for the last six months. Sure. So from what I've heard, uh, you can clarify on this or clean this up, but I had heard originally, you know, obviously they were talking huge dollars for this um, stimulus bill and now it got down to like 1.5 million. Now it's down to nine or, or 1.5 yeah, nope. billion rather. <laughs> I'm used to smaller numbers as a builder, but. Um, yeah, so. yeah. Nancy Pelosi was about 4 trillion over the summer. Uh, and, then, and then Mitch McConnell was at half a trillion over the summer. Uh, you know, in the old days, Carl remembers, you know, usually you just cut the baby down the middle. Uh, everybody, everybody won, everybody lost. Uh, and we got it. We got a package done. Now we're at this new 900, all but just under okay, a trillion dollar package. Uh, that seems like, you know, if, if you ask me, Pelosi gave more, McConnell has to give less. But uh, there's, you know, larger business liability concerns as part of this as well. So I, it seems like that, that that 900 billion dollar number, while enormous, um, might be where they finally settle. It's, you know, it, it's, it's on, you know, extraneous things sometimes that these things rise and fall. Sure. Well, that'd be interesting to monitor and see if there's something in the next week or so here. Otherwise I'm uh, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense that we'll see them come back to the table early in the new year with us. Um, so speaking of other things that are developing, we, we know there's some vaccines out there. 
How do you think that's going to impact the building industry? And, and when do you think that's going to work its way all the way to, to the masses and get, get to every state? You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of um, uh, awesome news. I was, you know, listening to the radio yesterday when they did interview the, the woman in, in uh, Britain who was the first one to get the vaccine. And I literally was excited. I mean, that, that was like, I guess one of those moments you remember where you were uh, when the, the first vaccine hit. Um, I think for our industry, um, I think it, you know, obviously we're, you're, you are not a doctor, David, you're not a nurse, uh, but you're, you're important. I, not, yeah, not yet. And I don't plan on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, none of us are smart enough to be either of those, but I, I think that, uh, you know, certainly, you know, the, the kind of our, our industry will maybe be lower on the list, but I think to counter that, um, the, the construction industry has done such a good job of being a safe place to work uh, with the, uh, the coronavirus. You know, the CDC has said that residential construction is, you know, a, a, a moderately uh, dangerous when it comes to the virus. And, you know, you, David, and your, your colleagues that are actually out there swinging hammers have done a great job of, of being safe, you know, practicing the distancing and yeah, wearing a mask. We've had very few incidences. Together. So, um, you know, I was on a, a call yesterday with several governors and two of them said, uh, the builders have done it right. And I think that's going to make it so that you won't have to stop and the vaccine's a bonus. Sure. Yeah. That'll, you know, just kind of create that stability and get everybody else kind of back to where they're supposed to be, I would think. So um, as far as time frame, do you think that's, uh, you know, halfway through the year, is it going to take a full year before we really get it out to, to everybody that really needs it? Or how long do you think this is going to take? Yeah, in, in talking to some people, uh, you know, so we've got this first tranche that just are going out next week. I think the FDA, I think today, they it might be today that they, they rule that the vaccine is, is approved. Um, you know, you've got, what, 80 million doses that are ready to go now, which that's, if you need the, the two-dose version, it's, it's, it's 40 million people. By the, by the end of the first quarter, they're thinking there's another one and a half million dollars, one and a half million doses available. And, and, and if you add all of that up, you're getting close to, you know, 50%, as Carl said, you know, we're going to start with, you know, nursing home patients uh, and frontline workers, then you work your way into the essential, the essential workers, I think, you know, whether we fall into that category, given how safe the industry has performed, but you think of meatpacking plants and things like that, where there's been these spikes, you know, maybe by Memorial Day, you know, we're, we're to the point where maybe 50% of the, the population, or at least those willing to get the vaccine, have gotten it. I, like I fear, I think, you know, the three of us are probably uh, much farther at the end of the line than the beginning of the line. But, you know, knowing that my mom and dad are in good shape or my in-laws are in good shape uh, and that I can start going out to restaurants because I have a reasonable expectation that uh, other people are vaccinated. You know, so anyway, I, I, you know, who, who knows? You know, Dr. Fauci seems to be the only guy who, who, who has the, the real horsepower to know anything about this. Sure. So far, you know, there's reason to be optimistic. Yeah. I, and that makes sense. I mean, we're not, uh, you know, we're essential industry in that housing is important to keep people home and safe, but at the same time, you know, those critical functions of food and, uh, you know, water supply, all those kind of things, those got to be handled first. And of course our frontline workers, uh, in the hospitals, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, just kind of a sidetrack on this. So um, I, I did hear some scuttlebutt about having a, some sort of a identification card if you get vaccinated have you heard anything about that is that that actually a thing 
I, I haven't heard that. I mean, other than kind of your general scuttlebutt of how do you know whether people are had or not? I know my, my, my kids play sports and there's been talk about, or, or, you know, our kids are in school right now, but, but the public schools in our, in our area are not. How do you, can you go back to school once you're vaccinated? Do you, you have to be vaccinated? And everybody kind of figures that kids are going to be closer to the end of the line anyway, because it hasn't been really tested in that, that population yet. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, having a national registration card, boy, that's a slippery slope. I don't see Americans doing that. Yeah, I, I'm not in favor of that at all. But, you know, I mean, you know, you just see some of this control stuff going on and it's, it's a little scary. And, and you know, uh, again, I'm not a fan of it. Um, you know, is it something that's required for travel? You know, it's just something to keep an eye on. And definitely, um, I think that could be worrisome, you know, that, that, that comes down the line. So keep your eye out for that one. Right. <laughs> um, so one of the other things that uh, has happened recently, and this is some really good news for, for all builders and everybody in the industry, is that um, lumber tariffs uh, were reduced from 20% down to 9% uh, a little over a week ago. So um, how did that come about and what other work is NEHB doing to uh, continue to keep that housing affordability as job number one? Yeah, great, great news out of the Commerce Department last week about, about reducing the tariffs. Uh, so a couple of things. One, the, the normal course of the dispute resolution process as a result of, of the Canadian Soft and Lumber Agreement expiring is that both countries, you know, fight it out in, in, the, in the world courts. Uh, and this is kind of the natural evolution, the way it, it's, it's happened uh, in that the, the courts have basically said, you need to go back and, and take a look at the tariffs, you know, US, and they went back and, and reevaluated them and, and, and cut them in half, over half. Um, you know, that, that is, is, is much, you know, we've, we've been kind of chirping in, in the ear of the administration about the tariffs, uh, even though they're kind of more in the courts, but, you know, kind of our constant drumbeat in there about the need for, for, for you know, less expensive, expensive, expensive lumber. The other side of this is domestic supply. And, and we continue to push very hard on the administration, even in the waning days here, uh, and with the domestic producers uh, about ramping up their supply. We're hopeful uh, that while we've seen prices certainly come down off their highs, or a little bit of spike in, in, in November, but hopefully we're gonna see at least some, some leveling off, even though we think that prices are still elevated, leveling off, and hopefully the companies can, can catch back up while, while the Northeast and the upper Midwest slow down I don't want to hope for a nice cold winter so that you all do slow down. You know, one of the challenges last year was a moderate winter. You just kind of cruise through, uh, cruise through the, the the down season. I think there needs to be some time here for the lumber companies to, to catch up. Sure. That makes sense. And, and one of the things that I've discussed with other folks is, you know, um, you know, last time we had you guys on, I mean, things were in like full shutdown mode yeah. and, and it was, it was pretty scary. Um, you know, we're still operating now and, you know, what we've seen is um, we, we've had a kind of a tale of two halves with our year. So we went from, you know, okay, the first quarter, like, wow, this is going to be the worst year we've ever had to um, our year's not quite done yet. We're up 8% in revenue from the previous wow. year. So, Great. so we're, we're, you know, doing well. Um, most people are buying houses that are already done though. They're not doing the to be built, but we are starting to see, we've got a backlog of to be built now, uh, for next year. So we're going to have a lot of orders. We're going to be doing a lot of construction. So um, as I've said before, it's like drinking water out of a straw and you get that air bubble moving through the straw. So we have this air bubble in our production line right now. Our trades are not busy at the moment, hmm. but there's a massive 
influx of work coming in soon and they're going to be booked out for a couple months going forward. Uh, so that, that's what's happening here. And um, it's, it's just interesting to kind of see how everything has shifted uh, because of that. And uh, certainly um, I, I'm just worried that we're going to see another spike in lumber when they see all these orders coming in. It always seems like as soon as we're about to place a bunch of orders for lumber, the prices kind of jump back up again. But I don't know if they monitor that or not. I think not, they've learned their lesson this time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, from what I've heard, we're at, what, about 550 for 1,000 board feet. Uh, we were at, you know, over 900 uh, end of September, October. So that's a good sign uh, that definitely will help. Um, you know, I think we're in the 400s at the beginning of the year. So it'd be nice to get back to there, but we're not too far off now. So that's a good not, sign. Not, yeah, not too far off. And uh, yeah, it's just, like I said, hopefully there's, everybody can, can, can do well if we get back to stable and, and lower lumber prices. So we're, we're, we're optimistic, but you know, if the bill, if the, you know, we, we expect interest rates to stay low through, through all of 2021, which means that this hot market should continue. Uh, so, uh, so hopefully, like I said, it's, we're, we're, we're pressing the lumber companies to, to keep grinding out those, uh, those dimensional pieces for us. Fantastic. Is, I, I know obviously it's, they're almost out of session here and a lot of the focus has been on, you know, um, COVID and, and all those kind of things. Um, is there anything else you guys are working on currently on the housing affordability front, or is it kind of just resetting, getting ready for next year? Happy clients, more profits, less stress. That's a trifecta of the construction business. We all want that, right? Well, after working and talking with hundreds of home builders and remodelers over the past two years, BuildBook has discovered the one common ingredient that determines the success of your construction business, the client experience. And we're not talking about just during a project. A client's experience goes from their first impression to their final payment and everything in between. And if you drop the ball anywhere in that journey, things can get super messy, super quick. BuildBook has developed the first of its kind platform that focuses on helping you deliver throughout the client journey, the one thing standing between you and achieving the trifecta of construction. It starts with marketing tools to attract the right leads, Add in sales tools so you can win the best projects and finish with project tools that knock your client's socks off. Marketing, sales, and project tools all rolled into one simple yet powerful platform designed to give you and your business an unfair advantage. If you're looking for happier clients, more profits, and less stress, head on over to buildbook.co now and try it for free yourself. That's buildbook.co. And if you let them know you heard about them on the Home Building Hero podcast, they'll send you a free swag pack. Yeah, I, Carl. Sorry, I keep uh, for uh, for us just on the federal on the federal side. Uh, a couple of things. It is a big reset, though. The Georgia races make it really impossible to fully reset yet. Uh, you've got a very slim House majority in the Democrat hands. Uh, that they're actually going to be down. Uh, two more in the short term is, is a couple of members transition to the administration. So, you know, Pelosi's going to have a tough time, you know, managing uh, her conference, her caucus in the next Congress. Uh, but, but the other thing we're working on is, is, is the Portman Shaheen legislation. You've heard me talk about it. I'm sure your viewers oh, yes. are somewhat aware of it. Uh, it there is still an effort to, to, st to stick this on whatever's moving at the end of the year. And for us, that is a absolute housing affordability issue. We do not need the national uh, EPA, I'm sorry, the National Department of Energy getting involved in the code writing process. We need 
uh, our, our experts uh, in the building field, working with the code experts in each state and locality to make affordable codes uh, for safe, decent housing. So uh, that is one thing that we're, we're, we're focused on like a laser in these last few days as well. Carl, do you have anything to add on uh, anything that you're working on? I know you deal more with kind of state, state by state issues. Anything jumping yeah, out at you? A lot of, uh, you know, now's the time of year when the state legislators drop their bills. You know, they, they put them in the, in the queue to be brought up in January, February. And um, there are several where they're trying to uh, bring in or bring back uh, impact fees, especially for schools. Uh, we're seeing that in, in Florida and in um, Utah specifically. Our state and local issue fund has been helping um, with that issue quite a bit. Um, we've seen some where they're trying to uh, make it easier for the financing side, you know, so you can do a virtual closing and a virtual inspection, which is fantastic. You know, I think the, you know, not being able to go into a home is it's hard, but yep. um, they're, they're trying ways to, to make that legal as well as technologically possible. Um, yeah, but I think our, our, uh, our big worry, like, I, like Jim said earlier, is that the, the housing will be seen as the, the piggy bank at the local level, um, and then, then that'll shift up. But uh, we're, we're hearing that a lot of uh, our local executive officers and, and builders are, are already meeting with mayors and county commissioners and, and trying to find that that middle ground. So um, yeah, the, uh, the one other thing we're seeing a lot is zoning, where uh, cities are saying, okay, you've got a single family lot, you can now try and build a duplex. Um, our, our push there, uh, because the word mandate is a, a bad word, is just to make that a, a voluntary market driven thing. And that, that helps affordability. So sure. You know, yeah, I think anything we, we, where we can get more flexibility, um, is great and obviously anything that reduces the amount of time for approvals uh, is critical because that's, you know, I just paved a road uh, about a month ago in my subdivision and, you know, it was a two and a half year process just to get it from submittal all the way to the point where it's built out and, and we can finally build houses in there and it's just um, complex and, and there's so many entities involved. So anything to, to speed along the process that, that helps get that inventory on the market quicker and uh, lot shortages are a huge uh, thing. I, you know, we're creating way less lots than we ever had in our market. So um, that's going to be interesting to watch in like a year or two um, and see, because we're building, we're permitting more homes than the lots that we're creating. So be interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, obviously there was some pretty big news uh, yesterday with uh, the Supreme court, Texas, um, basically, uh, filing a case. And now I think we've seen uh, 20 states jump on total uh, to this, uh, basically with the disenfranchising of, of voters with, with other states changing election laws. Uh, uh, obviously, I'm sure you're following that. What what does that mean? Is this, uh, uh, it doesn't seem like anything's over yet. So what, uh, what, what does this mean in the interim? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think in the interim, it just it, it allows Trump to stay in the headlines. Uh, I, I don't I, I don't think you're going to see any courts or certainly Supreme Court overturn the election. I really don't. Um, is it easy to find individual instances of of voter fraud? Sure, you're always going to find some dead person that voted in Chicago or in New Orleans. Uh, you're always going to find somebody who voted and filled out an absentee. You're always going to find those one-offs, um, but never 
don't think I've ever seen it widespread enough to overturn any election. And, and, and Carl's a, a scholar when it comes to, to, it comes to elections. Um, I just don't see the president's you know, dreams come true, come true on this and, and the election get overturned. I, I just don't. I think, I know at NAHB we're watching it because you know, you're, you're, you were compelled to, but we are preparing for a Biden administration on January 20th. Sure. Carl, yeah, any think, thoughts on that? I, you know, I, uh, it's like the movie Ferris Bueller. It, it's <laughs> over. Go home. Okay. Uh, and I, there's, uh, if there was all this election fraud, then Doug Jones would still be a senator from Alabama. You know, there's, uh, there's no complaining from any House Republican who won. There's no complaining from any House re- Senate senator who won. Uh, and uh, I think it's, it's, it's fine, you know, do all the lawsuits you want. The law allows anybody to sue anybody at any time. Sure. But um, you're, you're not going to turn 20 states. That's a lot of people then whose vote really didn't count. Sure. That's not, that seems weird. Sure. Well, if anything, it accomplishes uh, maybe uh, a focus uh, for the country to revisit these processes and uh, make sure for future uh, elections and things like that, that a lot of these things hopefully can get remedied and, and done in a better way uh, so that you know we don't have this as an issue going forward because that obviously could create a constitutional crisis at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so speaking of uh, our presumptive nominee, Joe Biden, um, how will that shift and affect your policies and advocacy work over the next few years? Well, I, I think let, let's presume for a minute that the Republicans uh, win one of at least one of the two Georgia seats and, and it, it can go both. They can win both. They can lose both. But uh, and even if even if the Republicans lost both in Georgia, you're still looking at a divided Senate. It's be hard to move anything. Um, so we're going to we're going to see what we have seen in the last two years under President Trump, what we saw in the last few years of President Obama's term. We're going to see a, a lot of governing by executive order. Uh, and, and in the last four years, two years, we've, we've been successful in, in, in working with the Trump administration on things that favor our industry in that front. Uh, we would prefer legislative activity. I think that's obviously the more durable uh, solution to anything that we work on. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to see a more executive order by more executive orders. Uh, and we're also going to see uh, a, a reversal of a lot of the things that we have fought for in the last four years under the, under the Trump administration whether on the labor front, uh, inside the EPA, uh, inside HUD itself on some issues, I think we're going to see uh, a reversal on, on a lot of the policies that we've, uh, we've worked on and enjoyed over the last four years. It's the ebb and flow of, of, of the way, way, way governing works. Um, but but I, do, I do think we're in, it's going to be a period of re-regulating rather than deregulating that we saw uh, in the last four so years. Basically, as, as we figured, shifting to defense. Yeah, that's uh, right. And that's protecting right. things that were important. Few areas, um, but but I think by and large, and some of the bigger ticket items, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be playing defense. Anything to add in that, Carl? Yeah, I'd agree. I think the, uh, um, I, I think there'll be it won't be a, as I think um, Joe Biden is is much much more a moderate than probably he campaigned as, but I do think we'll be shifting from. Uh, playing defense at the federal level where a lot of times we were playing defense at the state level as states tried to, you know, do, do the more 
uh, unbusiness friendly things. Now we're going to have to fight it at the federal level. So it's going to be a busy time. You're going to be rolling up your sleeves <laughs> and yeah. go to work, right? Yeah. Um, so obviously one of the things that is important with um, their group is, you know, climate change and energy efficiency. So I'm assuming that's where you're expecting a lot of uh, maybe directional changes from, from their party. Is that, that kind of a fair assessment? You know, if I could do that one real quick, Jim, uh, you know, President Trump took us out of the Paris Climate Accord, and then he saw a lot of states and localities um, do their own version. Uh, California, Massachusetts, um, probably Madison, Wisconsin. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, that, that was a lot of work for us, a lot of, you know, getting in there with those elected officials. We were able to temper it down sometimes, but now I think it's going to shift back up to be a national issue for sure. So it's, uh, you know, that, that part of it, the electrification part, the, um, there's a, a lot of, lot of little, little spots in there for us to, to, to find, I think, good and bad. Yeah, just kind of, kind of thought on with, with, with Carl, he's absolutely right. I think we, we see it devolve back to the federal government. I guess that's, or evolve to the federal government, devolving to the states usually. Um, and that's, that's one of the, the, the biggest areas is this climate change. The, the umbrella is so large. I mean, that's, that deals with resiliency in coastal areas and in riverine areas where we're, we see you know, flood and storm damage. Uh, energy, energy policy, again, we're, you know, we're talking about Portman Shaheen in the short term, but you know, this longer term effort of, of uh, the federal government getting more involved in energy efficiency. Um, flood, new, new flood control regulations uh, that the Obama administration had put in, Trump pulled them out when it comes to federally backed uh, housing. Uh, I expect that that will be re-regulated. So the, 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 the climate change, and that's something that our members need to kind of reconcile too. You know, we, we have always been rock-ribbed about affordability, um, but, but the, the sands are shifting to a certain extent on affordability. In a lot of ways, we're, we're the only organization out there uh, that is really pushing back on more stringent codes. And the commercial sector is all in, um, you know, even our, our closest allies, uh, whether it's the realtors or uh, the mortgage bank, they're all kind of moving towards embracing climate change. And I think that's something that we have to decide where, where are we, uh, where are we going to evolve to next? If the answer is always no, no one's going to call us for opinions are going to roll right over us. But if, if there are ways that we can find to work with the administration on, on efficiency and, and resiliency uh, that, that recognizes we need to make uh, our, our, our buildings better, um, but also getting them to understand that you know, modern codes work and let's do this in a predictable manner that doesn't jack up the cost of, thousand, cost, cost of housing by tens of thousands of dollars. Um, but we'll, it, it's always a, always a fun debate, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Sure, that's interesting. And then I, I think maybe one area that might might be able to be worked on uh, with their administration is I think they're proposing a first time buyer uh, credit again. Uh, I think that happened in the Obama administration. I think they're looking at a larger number at this point. Um, so uh, do you have any thoughts on that as, a, as it pertains to our industry? Yeah, a couple the, the, the Obama the Obama first time home buyer tax credit uh, was is a result of the of, of the, the great recession. It was we were trying to trying to you know move move housing demand to kind of jump re, to jumpstart our industry to jumpstart the larger economy. What our what hindsight showed is all we did is we take we took people who are probably going to buy a house anyway and we just moved them up in, in, further into the uh, or closer into the into their economic. So we're kind cycle. of buying customers now at the expense of later. 
Yeah, and so it really didn't, and it didn't. You know, remember there were two two versions of that because it came back and then another stimulus because it, it, it uh, you know, the, the economy never got going again. It was so deep uh, of a recession. This time around, we we liked the we liked the fifteen thousand dollar Joe Biden proposed first time home buyer credit, but it's a good start. What we have proposed in tax reform three years ago was a much broader home ownership tax credit that incorporated not only mortgage interest, but also your state and local property tax deduction, put them together in one home ownership tax credit uh, as, a, as a way to convert away from the mortgage interest deduction, which has been neutered by the tax law, and really create a meaningful, easy to explain at the closing table credit for first time and moderate income buyers. And that maybe that first time move up family, that's who we need to hit as much as I love the high end and custom end of the market, they're going to sure. buy a house no matter what the tax incentives are. Let us get those people that are coming out of rental that are, have got good paying jobs who want to get on that ladder of economic, uh, economic prosperity and, and by buying a house. That's who we need to incentivize. So Joe Biden appreciates talking about housing. We want to work with him to even make the credit even grander. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's that's great. And, um, you know, unfortunately for our industry, typically we're not serving that first time home buyer with a new bill just because of the, the cost difference, right? That's right. So, That's right. you know, it's, it's good if that can move the bottom of the market and get more people up. But it's, I think at the end of the day, it's just what it's going to be hard for it to translate into to a new construction industry. Yeah. Unless you're well, building. We're also like, hoping that that $15,000 gets, you can, you can get, a, you essentially get it at the closing table. You kind of preload that tax break. So you don't have to wait till April 15th of the following year to realize it, but you're at the closing table and you've got an extra $15,000 to help you afford that initial down payment. We think that's a real good generator as well. Yeah, that's a big issue for first-time buyers is just having enough money down. And if that can kind of augment or supplement that, I would think that would definitely create some movement there for them. Right. Um, okay, so let's just talk real briefly about cabinet picks for, for a Biden administration. Um, what what can we expect as far as housing and, and land development and uh, do you have any thoughts on, on any of this pick so far? And yeah, sorry, Carl. I'll, I'll just, if, if you don't mind, I'll keep rolling uh, for, for a second. Yeah, no, so, so Biden, yeah Biden, Biden's filling out his cabinet. He, he, the, the reports, and though it's not official yet, the reports are that, that, that Joe Biden has offered the HUD secretary position to uh, Ohio Representative Marsha Fudge. Um, who is uh, she's very accomplished coming into Congress, been in Congress since 2008. Not a lot of housing background. Uh, she, she doesn't sit on the House Financial Services Committee, which oversees housing uh, policy for America. Uh, so, uh, but I expect that she will uh, be a, uh, I expect her to be confirmed. NHB has come out and, and said, you know, we look forward to working with her. Uh, if you remember four years ago, Ben Carson was the HUD nominee. He didn't have any housing experience at all and and now he is uh we've had a great relationship with for four years sure. yeah, he's been great yeah expect the same with uh with representative fudge and, and and more importantly uh when you don't have a lot of housing experience at the top end the, the sub cabinet appointments are are critical the deputy secretary really runs the day-to-day -day operations of HUD. fha commissioner are going to be critical for what we do so um yeah I well, mean, hopefully it, they'll lean on us for the expertise then Bingo. That's yep. uh, and I, I know we've always had a good relationship inside HUD. So, yeah, I mean the the, the picks are, uh, are are coming in, and you know Janet Yellen at Treasury. I think she'll be excellent. We've met with her many times when she was in the Fed, and uh, and while she doesn't, when she's sitting in the Fed chair, they they don't give much to you. But 
She's always listened, always appreciated housing's role in the economy. And so I think having her, uh, her in, the, in the Treasury Department will be, uh, will be well, will certainly well received by us. Good, that's comforting. So I'll, I'll give this question over to Carl now. Uh, housing market in 2021, what are your predictions? How do you think it's going to perform? Why you give all the easy questions to me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I got I to think it's going to just keep on, keep on trucking. I mean, uh, like you just said earlier, you, you went from the worst year to a, a good year. And um, the, the, the feel of the country, as far as, you know, we're, we're going to maybe get past this, this virus and we're at the, probably the dark spot now, and then it's going to get, get, get better. That's got to lead to more, uh, more people wanting to, to buy. I think there's always a push, you know, I, I live downtown DC and a lot of my peers have said, that's it. We're going to go uh, join Jim in the, in the suburbs and, and get a, a more, more space. So um, th that needs more building, but then there's going to be more people coming into the city as well. So it's, I think a good, a good cycle start there. So I, I would say it's going to be a, a good year to, to, to be a home builder. Sure. I mean, we got low rates. Uh, you kind of alluded to the suburban shift. I think, yeah, we are seeing that a lot. And uh, especially with the virus, you know, having that many people in close confines, um, maybe the people are rethinking that. And then I think you have a lot of people that maybe moved into those urban areas for the lifestyle. And a lot of that lifestyle isn't there right now, right? We don't have the concerts. We don't have all the restaurants open. Uh, we don't have all those things to do down there. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people are like, okay, let's migrate out a little further. And, and then they don't have the commute, right? They don't have to drive uh, maybe every day to work. So if they do have to drive 40 minutes instead of a half an hour or 10 minutes or whatever it is, uh, you know, they might be willing to do that uh, to get a little further out. So yeah, it'd be kind of interesting to, to monitor how that goes. So uh, all the things you guys are working on, is there anything that I didn't touch on that you guys think would be uh, interesting for our listeners pertaining to housing or I think federally? No, I just, like I said, I think uh, it's interesting month, month and a half till the Biden administration is in. And then, uh, and then it's, it's off to the races. Like you said, a lot of defense, but a lot of optimism too for our industry. I think Carl just laid it out uh, perfectly. Um, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a good time to buy. Uh, if we can get past the virus in those for these next six months, which I think both Carl and I are, are very optimistic about, supply chain relaxes, lumber comes down, lighting fixtures, you know, uh, all the finishing things that you need, appliances, boy, we're, we're, we're poised to do what we always do, which is lead this economy back out of its recession. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish. Good. I yeah. like to hear that. All right. So um, you guys have a lot of resources. Uh, where would you point people if they want to get more information um, about things NHB is doing? Uh, I think our, our website is uh, just got updated, I think yet again, this week. Uh, with, with all kinds of new, new tidbits, um, I'd encourage uh, you know, of course, the state and local section. Um, but the uh, uh, NHB Now is a great, great blog. Um, our housing portal. If you do nhb.org/housingportal, that's some of the best information by congressional district you can get. Um, and then I'd encourage everybody to continue investing in, in build back. Uh, that's the only only way we're going to have any success in the new administration. Sure. And, uh, you know, you guys have always shown a good track record of working with both sides of the aisle and people that support housing. So uh, you guys do great work there. And on, on behalf of you know, builders all across the country, we want to say thank you for, for continuing to keep the dialogue open with both parties and, and putting housing first. So 
thank you guys. I know you're busy. So thank you for what you're doing. And, uh, you know, we wish you guys uh, a really happy holidays as well. And uh, I'm sure we will happy be holidays. checking. Yeah, we'll be checking back with you guys uh, um, maybe in spring next year and kind of see how, how we're rolling here. So see if Carl's predictions came true. That's what I'm more interested in. Yeah, I, I'll get a little tally sheet here going and we'll, <laughs> we'll keep up on you. All right. Well, once again, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Carl from NEHB for joining the Home Building Hero today. And if you guys have enjoyed this episode, make sure that you not only share the episode, but that you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future content. And if you do want to engage with the Home Building Hero, you guys can do that on our website, homebuildinghero.com, or you can also send us an email, homebuildinghero at yahoo.com. Uh, once again, I'm David Bellman, president of Bellman Homes. Thank you for tuning in to the Home Building Hero, and we'll talk to you very soon.